There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on February the 17th, 2010. For the newcomers out there, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and on the front page of that website you'll see the other sites I have listed and I have up there. These are the only official sites I have up. There's cuttingthroughthematrix.com, cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca there's Alan Watts cutting through the matrix.ca. There's cutting through And finally, there's Alan Watts sentient sentinel.eu. The last one is a European site. You can download the same audios there. And you can also download a lot of transcripts of the talks I've given over the past years and choose from the various languages of Europe. Print them up and pass them out to your friends. The tin can moment is very brief. I don't bore you with uh, pleas for help. If I don't get help, I just won't be here. Simple as that. I'll just say goodbye one night and that's that. So it's up to you to keep me going because no one else backs me up here except the audience. I'm not plugging um, various products. I'm not backed by the companies that uh, generally back the hosts. I could be, but I, I prefer to go it alone. Uh, the ads on this show that you hear are paid by the advertisers and go straight to RBN to pay for this airtime and pay for the equipment, their staff and their bills and for the transmission. So you can help me by going into cutting through the matrix.com website. Uh, you'll see the things I have for sale, my books, my CDs, discs and so on. You can purchase those or you can donate to me. You can also use the PayPal button to purchase as well. If you've got a hard time doing it any other way, just send a separate email along with the PayPal uh, payments and I'll get it out to you. Now from the US to Canada you can use personal checks you can also uh, from the post office get an international postal money order that's the pink bordered one so you can't mistake it. It's got to be international don't walk away with the, the green one that's internal US only if you don't like to use the banks so you use the post office and you can also use MoneyGram some of the stores now are using MoneyGram and there's Western Union. Outside America, same idea, Western Union, MoneyGram. Cash, of course, is fine as well. I should mention that from the U.S. too. And uh, PayPal to order or donate. It's up to you. But I do need your donations to keep me ticking along here because it's very expensive. This is not just a one-hour show. I deal with so much during the day to do with this. Uh, and people too that um, are in trouble and different things I have to deal with and get back to them. Uh, it's a full-time occupation. I don't call it a job because if I was in a job, I'd be raking the cash in. And I'd be working a lot less too. This is seven days a week, no breaks, no holidays. Because we're going through such amazing changes, it's time we have to uh, get out there and at least share the knowledge before we all go down the tubes. For those who get the CDs burned of my talks to, and passed to them to play in CD players, 
you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P as in Peter, 3, E as in Elizabeth, 4, N as in Nora, 1, P3E4N1. And it's one thing about the post office, anyway, at least in the U.S. and Canada, they're still working pretty efficiently. I've never really had problems with them. But make sure, if you do write to me uh, or send a check or whatever, an order, that you do put on the postal code properly. It's one letter out, and these, these morons can't uh, find out where a stair is or something like that. They just get totally bamboozled and send it back. I think that's the music coming in so we just made all that lot in and I'll be back with more and some stories after this break Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix I've talked at length before in previous talks about the parallel government that really runs the world. The parallel one is really the real one. It's the real government that runs the world, set up a long time ago on behalf of very rich people who decided that the worlds that they knew and the worlds that they wanted to be come for the future or they wanted to to grow up in, their children grew up in, would be overcrowded with all the wrong types of people. And they came out in the 1800s en masse, at least a lot of front groups, uh, to do with eugenics, even even magazines they put out in the early 1900s by the Rockefellers and others with the perfect American families, uh, with uh, the right size skulls, the right kind of noses and teeth and uh, IQ and all the rest of it, meaning that the rest of the people out there were uh, of the, the wrong kind of families, uh, the low breeders, the useless eaters as they called them. And we tend to take this with a pinch of salt because we cannot believe as ordinary people that monsters uh, live in our midst. Uh, it's okay to see the low-grade monster down below, the serial rapist or whatever, or murderer, or the guy who ends up in prison because he smashes the windows of jewelry shops. Uh, but we don't realize that we have the same thing at the very, very top. At the very top, remember, you have inbred people, wealthy families that have really scraped their way to the top, killed their way to the top, uh, by every means possible, actually, uh, destroyed many in the process to get up there. That's what power is, and that's what the insatiable, insatiable desire for power happens to be. Psychopathic people uh, with intelligence uh, go for these kind of things. They get up to the top. They know how to manipulate everybody else around them to do their work for them, and uh, they're very charming people. So when the ones at the top, the ones who are ultra-rich in this world, who own the food supplies of the world, they own the, the international monetary system of the world, they shift around billions of dollars each per day on the stock market. They can sink countries or raise countries up overnight. Uh, when they form a, a government, a, a parallel government, with many branches of it specializing in different areas of society, you better take them uh, for serious because they mean what they say. And they set up all these big um, clubs, as they called them. Initially, they were called clubs to plan the future, to decide what kind of future would come into play, not just in one country, but across every country in the world. Depopulation was their, one of their main uh, targets because 
they decided that the, the lesser types would outbreed the better types. And no one said it better in one of his books, but Charles Galton Darwin in the 1950s, a descendant of Charles Darwin, and uh, he talks about the needs to get rid of all these uh, fast-breeding useless eaters, basically. Well, they don't say these things, as I say, without meaning it. They don't just go to the Club of Rome and other specialized uh, clubs and foundations that they set up to plan the world to come up with the ideas without the implementation of these ideas. And how did they get these ideas implemented? They set up clinics across the planet under different guises and names, often under the terms family, family planning, and so on. And uh, the real idea is to abort and sterilize across the world as much as possible. And this all comes under sustainable developments. That's what they mean by sustainable developments. Bring down the population using war, famine, plague, etc. And this has been discussed using plague and famine to make it happen if the public couldn't be trained to have less children. Well, the reality is in the Western world, the countries listened since the early 20th centuries onwards, and their populations plummeted, in fact. The only reason there's mass immigration into all the Western countries is because the politicians say there's not enough children from the, the, the offspring of those countries who will grow up to work and pay off the national debt. And I'm not kidding about that. Margaret Thatcher said that. That's, that's the reason they give to us for wide-open immigration policies. We're, so we listen to what they said, we took their advice and had less children, and then they, they bring in the, the massive multicultural society, which really is intended also to break uh, existing cultures and end up with this new politically correct culture which the government is introducing through the schools into sustainable development, the greening, and all the rest of it. The world really is just one big chessboard, the only thing wrong with it is most folk don't know they're on it, but those who designed it uh, are the master players, and they literally plan the future with their 50 and 100 year plans, 200 year plans, and all the rest of it. Now, the Club of Romans, I've said before, is one of the specialized branches who were, they were given the task of finding a way to unite the world uh, against a common threat. And they discussed all means to do so. Uh, you can go back into the writings of uh, John Dewey, who was a guy responsible for setting up the American, if you want to call it, education system. But um, John Dewey, uh, in 1917, greeted uh, the Japanese delegation to the U.S., and he gave a speech there where he talks about, uh, if only we had an, an invasion from outer space, this is the first time this was used publicly that we know of, he said then the whole world would have to come together to fight this common problem. So even then they were finding ways to, to fool the public and, and con them into coming together, giving up national sovereignty, everyone giving up individual rights, so that the elites, you know, the better type, the academic crew, uh, would uh, rule their lives for us under a socialist system. That saying was repeated by many other players, in this game, uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, Lester B. Pearson of Canada, same speech, basically, threats from outer space, blah, 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 blah. But, of course, now it's, it's the threats of, uh, from the Club of Rome, from their own book uh, printed in the 90s. The two founders said that the, 
when looking for this um, reason for uniting the world under a common threat, we, we hit upon the idea that global warming, famine, plague and the like would do, that would fit the bill. That's what they actually said. And so when they say things like that, then they actually make it happen. They put it into into um, the agendas of schooling, uh, it's in movies, it's in novels, sustainability, global warming, all the rest of it, to make us really behave and yield our rights to self-determination and put our hands in government agencies and specialists who will, who will eventually decide who will breed and who will not breed, because we're almost at that stage now. Very good plan. It took a long time to pull it off, but um, they pulled off longer plans than this, as I say, since they came up with that one in the 1970s. And these guys really do hate the ordinary people. They really hate them with a passion. They need them in times of production for war, as they were building up, especially the U.S. They needed production, heavy equipment, uh, lots of workers and factories, and they needed it to supply the world with a world army to make the rest of the countries come under this so-called world of democracy, as they keep calling it. But it seems to appear ever evident that uh, democracy today means giving up all your rights and freedoms because they still call uh, the U.S., uh, Canada, and Britain democracies. But um, you have to go into the history of these characters and these fanatics, and they're all appointees. All these big players are appointees. The hard fanatics are, are appointees to every government in the Western world now. These guys were all uh, in the Communist League not so long ago. They're still ardent Marxists, thinking the world should be based on, on basic sciences, like the Marxist sciences and theories. This article here is from cnsnnews.com, and it's from August the 5th, 2009. It says, A top White House advisor to President Barack Obama argued that mankind eventually must face up to the need for a world of zero-net physical growth and population limitation. In an essay he co-authored that was included in a 1995 book on environmental sustainability, economic activity published by the World Bank. See, here's the United Nations and the World Bank and all these, these strange institutions that run our lives and tell governments what to do. They have more power than governments, more say in world affairs. These are the, this is the real parallel governments the Professor Carl Quigley was talking about, with all of his members being, being Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, and so on, the guys who set up the World Bank and the United Nations. John P. Holdren, who is now Director of the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, co-authored the essay with Paul Ehrlich and Gretchen Daly of the Center for Conservation Biology at Stanford. Ehrlich has been a well-known population control advocate since he authored the 1968 bestseller The Population Bomb, in which he advocated zero population growth. At the time the 1995 essay was published, Holdren was a professor at the University of California. Back in the 50s, by the way, the Pentagon said they would bring academia, uh, academics on board, and all academia would come on board uh, with the planning of this future sustainable society. So they're part of the warfare department, if you like it or not. And Holdren, too, remember, too, was the co-author with uh, Ehrlich 
with um, EcoScience, where he literally mandated mandatory sterilization of different peoples. And, of course, it was all to do with your um, necessity to society. In other words, eugenics. If you had good genes, a good IQ, uh, you might get to meet with someone of equal IQ and genes and have uh, an intelligent offspring that could serve them as a ruling class over the lessers. And Paul Ehrlich, by the way, his co-author and all this stuff, has been an utter fanatic on decimating the population. Uh, Paul Ehrlich's wife helped write the books too, and Ehrlich's wife was a member of the Club of Rome. You always find these clubs, World Bank and all the other ones, tied in together because they are just arms of the same big octopus. That's the music coming in, and I'll be back with more after this break. Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix, reading an article from cnsnews.com to do with the Club of Rome, uh, John Holdren, who's now advising Obama. Um, it's amazing how all these guys are now on the government level, all appointees as a science specialist to advise policy on all sciences. By that, they mean sustainability, depopulation, sterilization, and all the rest of it. That literally is the agenda. And Britain, you have the Optimum Population Trust uh, telling uh, Mr. Brown, before that, Mr. Blair, um, what policies to put in there regarding population. But uh, to go on with this article here, it, it says here, the essay, The Meaning of Sustainability, Biogeophysical Aspects, was published in the first chapter of Defining and Measuring Sustainability, the Biogeophysical Foundations a book published in 1995 by the World Bank, and the book is available as a PDF on the World Bank's website. Now, I'll put the link up for the PDF at the end of the show on cuttingthroughthematrix.com, along with all the, the links to all the other articles that I read tonight, and this one too. It says, We know for certain, for example, that no form of material growth, including population growth, other than asymptotic group, is sustainable, wrote Holdren and his co-authors. Many of the practices in inadequately supporting today's population of 5.5 billion people are unsustainable, and the sustainability limit, there will be a trade-off between population and energy matter throughout per person, hence ultimately between economic activity per person and well-being per person. Now, as I say, again, remember, these characters had no problem going ahead with their agenda, quietly planning what they would do in a post-World War II era. Uh, they kept quiet to themselves because they needed a large population of happy slaves that would go off and fight the wars for them that helped to eventually unite Europe because, yep, that's why Europe is united today. Uh, it was agreed to unite Europe under the Eisenhower plan and the Land Lease Project uh, and then the Americas eventually would were to be amalgamated afterwards as well, and they'd be the policemen of the world. 
As we were doing that, we were to have the industry pulled from under our feet at home, uh, and so you get massive unemployment. But once you're finishing the job, both will really teeter off at the right time, will be unsustainable. That way we can't keep up the the cost of troops abroad, and at the same time we can all go to back to the caves back home. That's really the plan. While these big boys have their super cities built across the planet, to sustain themselves in very high-tech, highly weaponized, sustainable cities for the, uh, the academic elites and the very wealthy elite families who fund them. And I'm not kidding about that. Uh, it says, this is enough. Holder and his co-authors continue to say quite a lot about what needs to be faced up to eventually a world of zero-net physical growth. What should be done now? Change unsustainable practices, reduce excessive material consumption, slow down population growth, and what the penalty will be for postponing attention to population limitation will be lower well-being per person. Now, you better tie this in with uh, the the dry quotes uh, that uh, the UN gives out every year with their statistics, because when they tell you that the Western male has uh, basically his sperm count is down almost 85% now. And uh, what's left is, is emotional. It means it can't find its target. Uh, they mean it. You see, they, they, when they say they have to bring the populations down, uh, if we won't um, simply listen to them and say, right, daddy, um, then they make it happen. These guys work for monsters who are so rich, uh, they run pharma industries, they, work, they run the, the military-industrial complex, and they find ways to sterilize you. If you wonder why cancer rate is, has skyrocketed, over the last 20 years is because they've been tampering with your food, for one thing, uh, lacing it heavily with cancer-producing um, toxins and pesticides. And they've also been giving you shots uh, that are incredible because even Dr. Salk, this great hero that gave us a polio vaccine, uh, before he was the hero for that, he was one of the head of the, the British eugenics and the American eugenics movement. And he wrote papers on the need to depopulate. And suddenly he comes out as the, the hero to give us polio vaccine. And now it comes out uh, that uh, he had the H140 uh, uh, virus in there, which is actually a simian virus, a monkey virus. They grew the viruses on chimpanzee kidneys. And he said the only function of this particular uh, simian 40 virus was to cause cancers. You know, I say this and people still really will throw it out their heads because they can't believe people would actually go ahead and do this. What do you think all these big foundations and think tanks are doing all the time? What do you think the Department for Populations is doing at the United Nations? It's actually population control. They don't make wish lists and put it up the chimney to Santa. They make it happen. They find ways to make it happen. And since the public are the target and the public um, have a natural sex drive, then it's up to them. They believe it's up to them to take care of it for us. And they have been doing it. They mean what they say. And these guys now have their own men appointed to every government in the Western world. Read their books. Read what I've said before. Holdren literally would have been a great aide to Adolf Hitler or a Lenin or a Stalin. Because they're quite blatant about the methods that they would employ if they have to, which they have. 
I'll be back with more after this break. Listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. It's hard for people to believe, as I say, that such people exist at the top. Very rich, powerful people. We have enough from the Rockefellers alone, just their foundation, uh, and uh, there's even videos up on YouTube and elsewhere with uh, an aged Mr. Rockefeller uh, jet set across the world giving lectures about the need to drastically reduce the populations. Uh, He's been doing this his whole life, and his foundation founds thousands of other NGO groups, non-governmental organizations, which they use as a land army, that's what they call it, an earth army, that was first mentioned out of NASA uh, back in the 70s. They'd create an Earth Army, and everybody wondered what it meant. It meant an environmentalist movement with thousands of branches all pushing to change the culture, which they'd planned in advance. But the Club of Rome, as I say, is only one of the many premier think tanks that has a special purpose, a, a selective area that it works on. They have many, many more. But the, the Club of Rome is, is interesting because... They're interconnected with Greenpeace and uh, the climate modelers, the IPCC, uh, and so on and so on. Here, here's some quotes here from those who are bringing us into the sustainable future to do with climate change and all the rest of it. Uh, here's a quote. The data doesn't matter. We're not basing our recommendations on the data. We're basing them on the climate models, the computer models that specially made to give them the answers they want. That was Professor Chris Folland at the Hadley Centre for Climate Prediction and Research. The models are convenient fictions that provide something very useful. That was Dr. David Frame, climate modeller, Oxford University. It doesn't matter what is true. It only matters what people believe is true. Perhaps from Paul Watson, the co-founder of Greenpeace. Unless we announce disasters, no one will listen. That was Sir John Houghton, the first chairman of the IPCC at the United Nations. No matter if the science of global warming is all phony, climate change provides the greatest opportunity to bring about justice and equality in the world. That was by the socialist Christine Stewart, former Canadian Minister of the Environment. And what did the Club of Rome say when they came up with the, uh, the purpose, that the, the means to unite the planet when they were looking for it back in the 70s from their own book, um, The First Global Revolution? It says, this is what the founders came up with, and this is what they wrote. The common enemy of humanity is man. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the great the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine and the like would fit the bill. Uh, all the dangers are caused by human intervention, and it's only through changed attitudes and behavior that the, these can, can be overcome. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. So the declared war on humanity, they themselves are above humanity. understand that they're more evolved, obviously, uh, as far as they themselves are concerned. And that's by Alexander King, the co-founder of the Club of Rome, the First Global Revolution. 
But you know something, it doesn't matter how much you tell people, they still can't believe it's happening. They still fall back into the daily newspapers. They never mention the Club of Rome. They never mention the Council on Foreign Relations. They never mention the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They just tell you what your local politicians are all screaming about and keep you earthbound, in a sense, on some little area while they rush on with these big global treaties that they're always signing which become law and are signed into law in your country and affect every single one of you quite amazing how it's done isn't it quite amazing how it's done and the the people will never ever really catch on to it now it's coming out now about the flu jabs it's great how the media keep quiet through it apart from uh, creating the, the, the crisis and, and quoting all the doctors that were screaming murder, murder, the flu is coming, got to get the flu jab. And once it's all over, and it's officially been announced as over, by the way, I thought you'd like to know the official announcement was made. And um, not that it was ever really there. Uh, this article is from the Mail Online. £115 million annual flu jab costs maybe a waste of money <laughs> after the fact. Eh? As they tell us all to tighten our belts and become sustainable and economically sustainable, the government throws the money at their big pals, you see. 150 million pounds annual flu job jab may cost it be a waste of money. 17th of February 2010. And it goes through all the different studies and so on and so on. And it says the flu jab does not provide the expected health benefits to the elderly. New research shows. It's amazing how they get it out just after they've given it all to them. The researchers whose findings are published today in the Cochrane Library could identify only one gold standard clinical trial where the results revealed if having a jab prevented an attack of the flu uh, or mitigated complications. The remainder looked at outcomes such as producing antibodies to flu viruses in the blood. Uh, lead researcher Tom Jefferson of the Cochrane uh, Collaboration in Rome, Italy, said limited reliable evidence suggests flu vaccine has only modest effectiveness, which means it's pretty well useless. He said our estimates are consistently below those usually quoted by economists and in decision-making, meaning the PR guys that, that, and the salesmen that sell it to governments. But until we have all available evidence, it's hard to reach any clear conclusions about the effectiveness of influenza vaccines and older people. As evidence is so scarce at the moment, we should be looking at other strategies to complement vaccinations. <laughs> so they want to, so we'll get the vaccinations and something else along with it. As we're broke, the governments are all broke. That's what they're telling us. That's why they have to put up taxes by 20% and all that kind of stuff. Quite something, isn't it? And this is in a similar study in 2008, Dr. Jefferson said there was little evidence to show the flu jab had any impact on the length of hospital stays, time off work, and death rates in healthy adults. In other words, it, had, it made no difference at all. In the most recent study co-authored by Dr. Jefferson, he looked at the four trials of, on the efficacy of flu vaccines in healthcare staff who work with the elderly. Researchers found the results were inconclusive. That means it doesn't work, folks, when they say inconclusive, because they found if it was, if it was conclusive or not. <laughs> and then Professor David Salisbury, Director of Immunization for the Department of Health, said, this review does not provide any new evidence. Well, that's odd, because the same characters were telling us it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. It would save all our lives when they were selling the stuff to us and pushing it like drug pushers. 
says here, the flu jab's co-inventor, biochemist Graham Laver, and I, I read that on the air from the guy himself, from Graham Laver, who invented the flu injection, told the Daily Mail in 2007 that the jab did not guarantee protection. Dr. Laver, who died in 2008, said, I have never been very impressed with its efficacy. This is what he said, it's better than nothing, and I wouldn't want to advise people not to take it, but you can't rely on it doing any good. <laughs> this is from the inventor. Well, did you hear any of that when they said, you got to get it, it'll save lives. And the governments were throwing billions of money, pounds and dollars at these big pharma guys, the big fat boys. Ah, oh, boy. Well, what were they really? Just stop for a minute and stop. Is it just about money? You go back to the previous articles I read on depopulation. And perhaps you should start, yeah, really, really start getting over that little hurdle that you don't want to go over and say, well, maybe they're actually doing it, see? Maybe they're actually sterilizing you. Maybe they're actually ensuring you're going to have the cancers down the roads. Do you know what they, they grow them on now? Your flu injections? Fast-acting cancers. No kidding. They're called the immortal cancers from one of the original people. They, they all took specimens from one woman way back in the 50s. And they, and they keep uh, the cancer growing in petri dishes. Every, every lab across the planet's got samples of it. It's just the most aggressive cancer they've ever seen. This is what they're using for fast breeding the viruses on. And then they're injecting it into your veins after mushing it up in a blender. You better start thinking and, and putting things together for yourselves. You better. Because no one else is going to do it for you. you want, you're the one that's going to say yes or no in the end. <laughs> con after con, eh? Now, everybody knows about the stimulus packages that Obama... I hate even seeing Obama because we know that his front men for the, the boys have been talking about already the big foundations above them, the parallel government that Carl Quigley calls them, the stimulus packages. Well, where's the jobs going for these stimulus packages? Here's an article here from ABC News at April 29th, 2009. It says, Michelle Brown had seen Americans struggle with jobs firsthand. She lives in hard-hit Florida, spent 20 years in the real estate business, and recently had her days as a nanny cut back after her boss had his hours, his own hours reduced, but nothing prepared her for what happened one day when she called a toll-free line to inquire about her food stamps. The woman who answered the phone, it's not like she wasn't nice or anything, but it was kind of evident that she wasn't in the States, Brown said. Where did the jobs go for the stimulus packages, for the food stamps and all that, when they revamped it? It says, it turns out the woman was at a J.P. Morgan Chase Call Center in India. That's where the money went. That really put me over the edge, said Brown, 52, of Jupiter, Florida. It's not right because we need the work here. People are always in a bad way nowadays. Americans have never liked the idea of jobs going overseas, but for many it's more offensive when taxpayer dollars, including those in the federal stimulus plan, go to create those jobs. And when those jobs deal with food stamps, unemployment insurance, and other public benefits, well, uh, forgot our irony, too many is just downright plain insulting because they're putting all these utilities over there in India. Unemployment in Florida is now 9.7%. 
why is the state of Florida sending these jobs away, Brown asked. The thing that really iced it for me, I knew that J.P. Morgan had gotten bailout funds. So she called her local politicians, and then she reached out to her local newspaper, the Palm Beach uh, Post. The paper did a story two weeks ago about the $50 million Florida paid J.P. Morgan in the last three years to administer the food stamps distribution. And how did they do it? By getting cheap labor and setting up their centers in India. Those services include 24-hour customer service call centers. Some of those call centers were answered in Bangalore and Gargayon in India. Others were taken to U.S. call centers. The next day, the head of the state's Department of Children's and Families said something needed to change. I don't want any calls going to India, he said. We need to take care of this. Then he goes on about the other uh, companies who have bailout funds that also have uh, organizations over in India. But did you know that the American uh, census uh, data uh, is all sorted out in India? Do you know that Canadians are the same? Have been for 10 years. That's where your, your taxes go, by the way, your income tax, things that you file out and so on in America and in Canada. For 10 years, they've been sent to India. That's where they do them all. And you think you're still nations and yet you, that your governments are keeping privacy all to, the, to themselves. You're, it's safe with us, safe as houses. Hmm. Now, I'll go to the phones, and there's there's uh, Dan from California there. Are you there, Dan? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, i got a question. I don't mean to divert from your usual topics here, but i got a question about uh, the movie Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, the, the name Nightingale and the individual that leads the main character into this, I guess uh, he leads them to uh, the people that are performing this ritual at that big mansion house. Um, is, is there anything regarding his name connecting to what he actually is doing? I don't know the actual is a movie. Yeah, the movie Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, Eyes Wide Shut, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the gentleman named Nightingale in that movie, does mm-hmm. his name have any significance? Yeah, a nightingale uh, is uh, the songbirds you used to get in London, especially. There's a song about it too. Uh, uh, a nightingale sung in Berkeley Square, and uh, it was a a symbol of how sweetness can bring you into uh, bad a, a bad situation because uh, you could follow the sweetness. They also called the prostitutes at times nightingales because they'd sing out to the passers-by. And you could go into back alley and you get murdered by the gang that was waiting for to get you. I yeah. so I, I kind of knew he had, it had the attachment to his name because he leads him to this place where they tell him, you know, hey, don't don't put your nose any deeper than you already are in, mm-hmm. or we warn you. So, um, okay, that's one question. I have another one. In, in his new book, Jack Satali says that the brain chip, mm-hmm. or even any kind of chip, basically uh, because America is so heavily Christian. Mm-hmm that they'll, they'll fight it. And he, he, he actually says he doesn't believe it'll take in the, the Americas. Mm-hmm. What, what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, they don't go after the majority. Now, it's the majority are the youngsters. That's who they go after. And that's, that's why they're training, they've already trained the youngsters to want it. The movies they put out, Avatar, all this stuff, plug in, you're all one. Uh, same with the Matrix movies, you plug in, you know, and... Um, and you'll all be one. So it's already there with the youngsters. Uh, they've had heavy conditioning towards the acceptance of all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's going to be made to be fun. That's how they'll see it as being fun. 
what they won't tell them is that uh, once they're plugged in, uh, your brain is no longer yours. Whoever programs that whole system is in control of you. You are the Borg. The Christians, I can remember when, you can remember every group has its appointed leader, the false shepherd. And uh, Billy Graham, I can remember him telling him that even uh, the barcode and so on uh, it was not uh, the mark of the beast, etc. So when, if Christians have to go to a leader to ask, is this the mark of the beast? Well, I think they've had it anyway. They should decide for themselves individually. Individual ones certainly won't take it, um, but others that are more middle class and want to go along with the rest um, and use like a social club, really, they'll go for it as well uh, because they won't want to be left behind, as they say. Yeah, I, yeah the, the terminology they use... The, um do you think that they're too emasculated to even try to even stop it? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not looking to the Christians to stop it because it's within each of us to say no. Mm-hmm. I, I think what, how they do things. They are. I mean, mm-hmm. they they're 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 hoping, but then again, they are kind of hoping for something to happen in the end for them. You know, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad because it would. I mean, the, uh, what they do though, how, how they do these things is interesting because they don't just pass a law and say you must. What they generally do is, is, is put something in there, start withdrawing alternatives to that until you can't get anything done. You can't buy, you can't sell unless you've got it. And so literally that's how they can do it. They, they won't say, no, we're, we're making you take this. You, you, you'll have options available around you for a certain amount of time until they take away gradually those options. Then to, simply to survive, they're gonna, you're going to have to go in, along and take the chip. It's up to you. you know. Personally, I'd find other ways to survive. Jack, Jack Kelly also talks about Hollywood and how it's going to be like hyper, it's going to be like super Hollywood. Yeah. It already is. It already is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It already is all over the world. It's the biggest export in the U.S. apart from missiles and bombs and, and, and uh, armies. Uh, it's the biggest export, literally, uh, is uh, movies from Hollywood. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Alan. And thanks for calling. I'll be back with more after these messages. Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix and we've got another caller there Kevin from Ontario, are you there Kevin? Well I'm not all there but I'm still here That's good enough for me <laughs> You know um, I've been, one thing I've been following you know, and it's one thing that these, that these elitists love to use, especially to get control over people they love using false flag terror, mm-hmm. they use it all the time and it's not just bombs going off either, like they'll use uh, viruses they'll use uh, Attack on presidents and attack on national on politicians and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a few people out there that have been saying that the, that we are ripe for another false flag. And I don't think uh, us, us here in Canada are going to be immune to it either. Especially if you've been watch, following Mark Steinbog and his uh, and his, uh, his constantly updated warning signs. What might be going down in Vancouver? Mm-hmm. I'm not so worried about Vancouver, but. Um uh, I do know that 2010, and I've got an article here about it, um, where the Mexican, uh, the top vice president of Mexico has come out and again talked about the complete North American Union. Now, you know yourself, they started this uh, openly in 2005, signing every year with the present prime minister, 
2010 as the last signatory on it, and then we're supposed to be integrated completely with the U.S. They already have done it with intelligence, a lot of taxation, customs, and so on. And even even bureaucrats in Ottawa can get jobs equivalent to theirs in Washington, D.C. now and vice versa. It's been like that for a few years. So they need something now to, to happen to then further the, the integration quickly into the, the, the North American alliance. Now, they admitted themselves, and it was in the papers in Canada at the time, remember, when they called it Fortress America. Uh, this is speeding up the process of integration that, that our natural combined security uh, works with each other, so we have to integrate all the faster. Then you had the economic crash, which helps it again. The CFR came out and said, yes, this is going to help us integrate quicker, but it means something else to happen, and then it, it's done, basically, you know. So something this year will probably happen. Uh, again, it might be another uh, economic crash part two, you know, something like that. Yeah, well, I think we're going to see a bunch of different things happening at once just by looking at it. And the, the warning signs about, what, about Vancouver, too, I honestly think I, I, don't, I don't want anything to happen to Vancouver, but the, the, the warning signs are just getting too much for mm-hmm. me to just ignore. Um, mm-hmm. And also, when I, when I, when I um, questioned uh, Commander Alexander Grant, about uh, the, mili- the American militarization of the Northwest Passes, Passes asked him, is this all part of the combining of our military for, uh, for the North American Union and to use uh, the, the protection against Russia and Iran as a, uh, as a pretext for all of this stuff? Mm-hmm. And he didn't like that question. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. But again, uh, if you go back into the Globe and Mail 2005 uh, and read the article called um, uh, Fortress America, uh, there's a whole two pages on it there, then total integration of the America's combined security, completely eventually integrated military. Uh, they already had by then integrated um, the Canadian intelligence services with the FBI, CIA and all the rest of it. So uh, we're, we're pretty well there now. It's, it's, uh, it's a, a gradual process. But 2010 was definitely their mandate. And that vice president of Mexico actually said that too, that 2010 was their mandate for it. That's what they'd hoped for. Uh, that's what they shot for in the first place. Yeah. But thanks for, thanks for calling. That's the music coming in for tonight. And um, it's been uh, a very fast show as always. There's, there's so much to say, never the time to say it all. But I'll put these links up on my site. Go to cuttingthroughmatrix.com from Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.